it was as much about understanding the process and the product and the service and all that stuff and the systems, but more about understanding them and what their ambitions were and what worked for them, what didn't. So I think if you're ever going into a new leadership role, you spend as much time as you can with your people rather than, you know, locking yourself away and trying to solve everything up here. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey, everyone. Sam here from Elite Agent. Today, we have a special episode of the Leadership Diaries with Ray White Canberra Group founder, as well as Zango co-founder, Ben Folks. So, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you too. I think we can still say that. I think you can say Happy New Year right till the end of January, apparently. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. That's fair. We're all just getting back into it anyway, aren't we, after a much-needed break? Yeah, absolutely. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? Are they your thing? Oh, a little bit. I have a bad habit of trying to reinvent the wheel every December, going back and trying to start from scratch. So I've tried to do a bit more sort of longer-term planning and thinking this time around. But yeah, simplify. Simplify is my objective for 2023. Yeah. Do you go through a bit of a process in December? Like I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, think about December in the way of, I keep thinking of John Knight's, you know, three Russian brothers and his friend, you know, more of, less of, toss in, that sort of stuff. But, you know, like let's simplify it into English, keep, start, stop. Mm. Is that the sort of thing that you think through at the end of the year? Yeah, it's not a formal process. I think it's that natural time for reflection and like most people, I probably jam about three months worth of work in the last three weeks of December. <laughs> there's sort of, you know, there's a lot going on and it's a time just to come back and back to basics. Um, what are actually my objectives? What am I trying to work towards for me as opposed to, you know, what are all the pressures that have been thrown on? So no formal New Year's resolutions, but typical things are around, hey, spending your time with family, uh, what are you doing for your health? And then what are the bits of the business that I love and enjoy versus the stuff that maybe it's better for others to focus their time on so that I don't lose my patience? <laughs> yeah, good call, good call. The last couple of years have been pretty interesting too, like, you know, and they've taken their toll on a lot of people in, in the real estate industry. What's your summary of how that looked in the Canberra market? Historically, Canberra's a very kind of flat market. It just incrementally grows each year. Small amounts of population growth come in, wages are steady and fairly reliable because of the public service. Um, but COVID in that period brought our first real boom that we've seen for many, many years. So in the past, we'd admired the boom markets of some of our colleagues in the Ray White Network and we got to experience it. So, you know, significant price growth, huge amount of borrowing capacity for purchases for the first two years. And then it's started to trickle off in 2022. We've seen prices come back intuitively somewhere between 6 to 10%, less purchases in the market, less borrowing capacity. And I feel like we're now reaching the point where people have starting to get some confidence about where rates are going to land. So therefore, they're prepared to step forward and act again. But it's been a crazy time. Lots of pressure, lots of expectation, but also lots of opportunity. Yeah. 
I guess the other thing, like I've always wondered because 2022 was an election year, how does that impact the market in Canberra? Like, you know, with one government outgoing and another one incoming and public servants towing and froing, did that have any sort of an impact last year? The market tends to slow a little for probably the last two to four weeks before the election where everyone just goes, hang on. But the reality is, as both of the parties have become a lot more kind of centrist in the way they view the public service, it's either public servants employed or consultants engaged. So it kind of nets out for Canberra, really. And the only time that that's really become a massive impact was probably back in the mid-90s when the Howard government came in and cut a lot of jobs. And that really had a big impact on the property market. But those election cycles, not a huge player these days. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And so I've got my leadership diaries questions all lined up for you and I'm super keen for that, but might need to be the first of a few chats because there's so many things I want to talk to you about, particularly I think we first met about five years ago when we did an event called How to Lead a Winning Team in 2018 and I can't believe that 2018 was now five years ago. And I remember writing your bio as 53 staff across three offices because I think you started in Belconnen and then the group just grew from there. What does the business look like now? So there's a little over 120 of us in the group across Canberra. We've still got three locations, but they've got two, I guess you'd call them like super offices, but hubs, which are between 900,000 square metres. One's in North Canberra, one's in South. And then we've got a commercial business which operates out of the city. About 80% of our business is residential, 20% commercial, and then we've got a a really strong loan market or mortgage broking business as a part of the group as well. And just because you weren't busy enough growing that business from like 53 staff to 120, you also co-founded a portal by the name of Zango in the ACT. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the gap that you're trying to fill with Zango against some of the major portals out there? Yeah, so... Probably not dissimilar to other markets. Um, There was a level of agitation and maybe frustration with portals, particularly around pricing, but then also in Canberra, the consumer experience wasn't great. There was an incumbent local portal here, which was part of one of the major groups. And there's kind of this lightning in a bottle that's been described at in terms of the size of the market in Canberra, the number of participants. So there was a large group of us that got together and co-founded a portal called Zango with the aim to provide a more modern, um, more dynamic user experience because that had changed, but also to bring some price pressure to the portals. Like we'd had hundreds and hundreds percent of price growth since I started, like many have experienced, and we're quite proud that since we started three years ago, those prices have barely changed from our competitor. So we've created competition, we've created choice, which has been really good. And... We're now in this kind of ongoing arm wrestle, really, with the other local portal here to get to a position of dominance. So it's been interesting trying to get the industry to collaborate for the greater good, and that's not easy, particularly when we're then out there, you know, fighting tooth and nail to get a listing. So certainly been a learning experience, that's for sure. I was going to say it must be kind of interesting in some of those board meetings because you'd be up against some of your other co-founders for listings all the time, like, you know, Holly Komorowski and people like that. How is it when you get into the boardroom and go, damn it, you won that listing <laughs> yep. against my team? From my perspective, having been part of Ray White for a long period of time, 
and it's a bit cliche, but there's kind of this attitude of abundance, like there's plenty out there for everyone and we celebrate other agents and agencies' success within the network. So when we come together for a board meeting, we tend to be able to look beyond a, a listing as a whole and see that we're all actually working towards the same outcome, which is a stronger industry, a stronger Canberra, and it's never nice to lose a listing. But when you're all rowing in the same direction, it definitely feels a bit different, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like the attitude of abundance too because, you know, I sort of fundamentally believe that a rising tide lifts all boats as well. So if you can lift the level of service to the customer while, you know, working together, then there should be enough for everyone. Eric was launched before my time and I haven't been a religious attendee, but that was a really good example of that philosophy. I think when it started, from what I understand, was just lifting the standard within the industry and it's got better since then. So maybe on a local level we're we're having a small crack at that as well. Yeah. We'll have to get you guys along to Elite Retreat in in 2023 again. So we'll have to talk about that later. But let's get on to the Leadership Diaries, which are a series of questions that I ask leaders such as yourself to help up-and-coming leaders in their journey, however big or small that might be. And so they're just rapid-fire questions just say the first thing that pops into your head and I'm thinking one day I'll make a book out of this. So are you ready? Yeah. Yep. Thomas McLean's holding me accountable anyway, apparently. So (laughs) anyway, okay, let's go. So Ben, what was your first job and what did it teach you? My first job was at Rebel Sport, working as a casual retailer. And I had a really good boss in that job and he helped me understand about selling So rather than obviously service, but it's to do with features and benefits. So I think in anything, we're pretty good at talking about features as opposed to this is what it can do for you. And that's helped me shape a lot of my thinking around sales and staff engagement because ultimately we're all selling something, whether it's an idea or a product or a service. So features and benefits. Yeah, that's true too. One of my early sales mentors said features are about you, benefits are about the customer. So remember to talk about the customer. Yeah, beautifully stated. Yeah, amazing. So you became like an agent and a leader on the same day, which is quite unique, as I recall anyway. Can you tell us about how that happened? Yes, I was very fortunate that I had an employer at the time and he had a what was a master franchise for Canberra. We spent 12 months working together after I left Macquarie Bank and he backed me basically. I think he saw that I had some potential and then I saw that for that business potential to be realised, we had to find some revenue. So (laughs) I went and chased listings and perhaps like anybody who's played a bit of sport as a kid, the competitive nature of it kicks in and it's a bit addictive really. So it was a bit hard to wean myself off. But I think that played a big role in being able to scale reasonably quickly and reasonably well. So from three people to just over a decade ago to where we are now. Because not only was I, you know, say selling at the time or running a business, but I was selling and then mentoring and supporting other agents on their journey. I just got lots of touches on the ball and then had an ounce for numbers and a passion about values and people and some things that I'd learned, which I then had the space to apply. Yeah, interesting. So what does the first hour of your day look like and how does it go after that? Are you a morning routine, 5am clubber type person or do you do it differently? God, I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask this question because... The direction of my morning is dictated by an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. The best intentions are the alarm goes off at six o'clock and the dog gets a walk. 
That happens one, maybe two days a week. Other than that, there's a bit of snoozing. And then it's literally that scramble out of bed, getting lunches made, breakfast ready. Um, I would love to be back in the space for a more disciplined morning routine, but I've kind of had to get a bit of self-compassion around the fact that this stage of our life, it's not really a reality. So maybe need to come back to that question in a couple of years, Samantha, and I can give you the answer that everyone wants. I mean, thank you for your honesty. I think there's a question here about leadership at home. And so it sounds like that leadership is driven by, you know, the four, six and eight year old. Yeah, obviously it's incredibly rewarding. And I get lots of advice to enjoy the kids when they're at this age, which I try to lean into. Goodness me, when you're up to the fifth time of asking somebody to put their shoes on, it's uh, leadership <laughs> at home. I, you know, that patience at that moment, that's leadership at home from my perspective. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be lots of people sort of sighing with relief that there's someone in real estate being real about all that stuff because I think, you know, it's really hard to do it alone too. Oh, it's intense. You know, I think sort of look back and go, bloody hell, how did we do it all? But then we'll be facing different challenges with our kids and it'll just keep evolving. So I've actually just been started watching, and it's probably a bit of old news now, but the Chris Hemsworth Limitless series on National Geographic and that sort of attitude towards stress rather than necessarily stress. So I'm trying to get that in my headspace at home at the moment, particularly back of school holidays. <laughs> Lean into it. It's all right. You're doing well. A bit of positive reinforcement. <laughs> I think I might check out that series. It sounds like it's a good one. I haven't seen that one yet. And who doesn't love a Hemsworth? There's a bit of shirts off action too, so. <laughs> There's a few fans. It'll give me a break from the cricket. Anyway. Can you name someone, and I feel like I might know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Can you name someone or, you know, some people that have had a tremendous impact on you as a leader and why? Pretty much every role that I've had, there's been someone or a couple of people who have taken an interest in my career and I've gleaned things from. Within the real estate space, there's, there's actually five people, if I sort of, you know, map our journey that come to mind. And the first was my business partner I mentioned who backed me from the start, Doug Amara. Learned a huge amount from him around the commercials of a real estate business, like how to think like a business owner, getting more in the top of the funnel, just some really kind of fundamental. And also what's possible when you've got a big ambition because he's built an incredible business. The next person is my current business partner, Scott Jackson, who's sort of in the background with a lot of the things that we do. Scotty taught me how to list and sell, but he also, I'm very much about the, you know, looking forward, where are we going? What's the strategy? What are the numbers around that? Where he's very much around the people and making sure that everyone is able to come along for the ride. So that's a personality thing for him, but he's ingrained that on me, which has been great. I met Mark McLeod and Chris Handley in my first year in real estate. And like, you know, a lot of people in the industry, Samantha and you just couldn't be more fortunate to have those two people influencing you. We did some workshops with Chris around business as a whole, but specifically around database and relationship thinking. And then, you know, Mac has just continued to reinvent himself, but he's very well known for our auction business and he's just been foundational in that as well as lead gen. And then more recently, over the last probably three years, spent a lot more time with Dan White as our group's grown and become a little more complex. And it's fascinating being around somebody who thinks, I wouldn't say generationally, that's probably overstating it, but 
a market upturn, market downturn doesn't dictate where their investment goes. They're thinking 10, 15 years down the track. And I think we're all guilty as business owners of, of thinking short term of when can I pay the next dividend or when I upgrade the house or whatever. And it's a privileged position, but wouldn't we all make better business decisions and build better businesses if we were thinking for 10 to 15 years' time rather than 10 to 15 months? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, actually. And, you know, I guess most of us hopefully would be feeling a bit sort of chilled after having a bit of a Christmas break. And that's usually when, you know, you're sitting by the pool with a cocktail or something rather, and your best ideas tend to come because you sort of relax and then you start looking further than fighting the fire in front of you, which as a leader is something that, you know, like I think everyone does from day to day. But I guess that sort of leads me to a bit of a side question, actually, which I'm interested in, because I talk to a lot of people about that very problem of, you know, I always seem to be fighting fires. How do I manage to, you know, look at the longer term stuff? Mm -hmm. What sort of advice would you give them? So before joining the real estate industry, I worked at Macquarie Bank and looked after a lot of real estate and strata managers. And I had a decent head for numbers, but I was basically trained as a credit analyst. So I got a lot of confidence around numbers and cash flow. And I think for a lot of people, uncertainty around financial position, but particularly future financial position, clouds their thinking and becomes a barrier for what's possible or what they want to achieve. So for me, my intuition from the question is, at any given point, I've got mapped out somewhere between two and three years worth of forward cash flow, seasonally adjusted commissions, you know, factors in your BAS and it factors in all of those lumpy bits and pieces, but it also allows you to plot your dividends and look where opportunities might be. And I think for me, cash flow is confidence. So if you know your cash flow, you've got the confidence, you can look ahead and go, wow, there's going to be, you know, all things considered and you update it as you go, but all things considered, it's going to be a million bucks in the bank in 18 months' time. What do I want to do with that? And then it's kind of a reverse goal-setting kind of, like it's almost, I think it's like backcasting or whatever you. So I think for me that gives, you know, at this stage of my life where all of our financial affairs are intertwined with the business, it's hard to separate them. That helps me think longer term personally but also in a business context. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, this is one of my favourite questions. What is your favourite question to ask someone in a job interview and what does it tell you about the person? I'm typically looking for two things in a job interview. One is warmth and the other is ambition. So both of those you've kind of got to drag out of people and there's instinct around that. But the best questions that I was taught by a business coach that we had was what would your previous boss say was your greatest challenge or what was your previous boss say was your greatest strength or what would your previous... So it just frames the question in a way where people can't kind of dive out of it because particularly if there's an expectation you're going to reference check, it's like, oh, I've actually got to be pretty pretty upfront here. So I find it a good way as you go through that general conversation to loop back and just, oh, I'm not quite sure, you just come back and you go, what would your boss say about that? So it's not so much the question, it's more that headspace of framing it through somebody else's perspective and asking them to comment. I don't know if that makes sense as I say it, but. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess if you were to layer some NLP on the top of that or something like that, and you, I don't know whether it's eyes up and to the right or eyes up and to the left, 
It's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no NLP expert, but apparently you can sort of tell when someone's answering a question like that as to whether they're accessing their memory or making shit up. Right. <laughs> I probably should have had that bit in there. I think that I've found it's hard for people to get away from. Like it almost allows them to be a bit vulnerable because it's not my weaknesses. It's they would say I faded in and out of a day sometimes or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I understand team culture is really important to you. What is the best way for you to help a new employee or a team member understand the culture of your business? So absolutely the best thing is when they come to our first all-hands meeting. So once a month we get everybody from the business together in the one room. It's information sharing, so there's a lot of sort of economic information or market commentary. Then we go through all the results of the business from all the different departments some reward and recognition, what's coming up. But it's really an environment of celebration, collaboration. They just get a sense of who we are. It's the rhythm of our business is evident in that meeting. And then the other thing that's foundational for us is in our induction process, and this was something that was pivotal when we started, was we really spent a lot of time not just establishing what our values were, but clearly defining them. And we labor that point a lot in induction and onboarding and it gives people that sense of like just yesterday we were discussing it with sorry a couple of days ago we were discussing it with reference to a particular situation of just gives you that lens to look at things through and I think most people know what they're meant to do but we often struggle with how we're meant to be or how we should should be doing it and it just gives you that lens of am I off track or on track here does that really sit with us so all hands meeting, understand there's going to be awkward hugs if you win something. We're all going to sing happy birthday to 10 people at once and it's going to sound a bit weird. We don't take ourselves too seriously in that context. And then, you know, when you're out in the marketplace, the North Star is to conduct yourself like this. Yeah. You know, the quote from Chris Hanley comes to mind as you're talking that culture's caught, not taught. Yeah, very much. Yeah, interesting. What advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? I would say spend more time with your people. So go into the weeds. Like we bought a, an example which comes to mind is when we bought a large commercial business 18 months ago, just over 18 months ago, and we had no commercial background. So I was learning that as we went. And something which on reflection I think got a lot of buy-in from the team was I went and sat with every single person in that business for an hour, hour and a half, however long it took to understand their role. and. It was as much about understanding the process and the product and the service and all that stuff and the systems, but more about understanding them and what their ambitions were and what worked for them, what didn't. So I think if you're ever going into a new leadership role, you spend as much time as you can with your people rather than you know locking yourself away and trying to solve everything up here. Yep. There's plenty of advice given out in the real estate industry and goodness knows, you know, like we talk to a lot of people with a lot of great advice. But with that comes the flip side, which is, you know, some terrible advice gets given to people coming into the industry and even people that have been in the industry for a long time. What's the worst advice you've ever heard? Something that you would recommend that you've heard people do that you would think never, ever, ever do that? In my last 12 years, almost 13 years in the industry as a sales person and principal, I think the industry's got a lot better in the that holistic, like the Rise Initiative and some things like that around the 
It's not just go, 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 catch and kill like that old mentality. But I've always struggled with the idea of encouraging people to go and extend themselves with a lot of personal debt and that'll create the motivation for you to go and, and do more. Probably does work for some people, but my experience has been there's actually more anxiety sits on the other side of that financial equation than motivation. So I'd probably resist that and come up with a plan for how to get that in terms of forward cash flow, project where you could be based on these experiences, and then some strict accountability as opposed to go and make the commitment and then you know, potentially be up against it. I know it definitely works for some people, but it doesn't necessarily align with the way that I see the world. So I'd encourage people to go away from that one. I was going to say, you know, like I can think of times in my life where I've had a lot of debt hanging over my head and it causes nothing but stress. I'm quite happy in my Mitsubishi ASX. (laughs) So, yeah, I completely get it. What's your favourite leadership book or do you have a favourite success quote? There's probably there's two books that I typically reference. One is a book called Scaling Up, which is by a bloke called Vern Harnish. I know there's a lot of people out there who have read it. And it's basically, a, I think he calls it strategic thinking and execution planning rather than strategic planning. And there's the four pillars in that book. And it's just a really helpful way to go, I'm going to go and do this. And it boils it back down to, okay, well, let's start with this. So scaling up to Cracker and there's a coaching organization called Gazelles, which is part of that same group. We've had a business coach through there for three years previously, and he was great. But then the Bible for me kind of, coming through was Good to Great by Jim Collins. Just happened on a CEO roundtable in Boulder in Jim's office three years ago uh, with 20 CEOs around the world and somebody pulled out late in the piece and I happened to be there ready to go and able to go and sort of lucked in and just to see somebody who thinks about business on a, like an intellectual level, more academic level is probably a better way to describe it, but That book has just some really great ways to think. And again, you're looking for a framework or a model. Um, You go and study Jim's whole body of work. Like that's not a small assignment, but if you can go and do that, you can't go wrong if you follow it. You've got to go deep and you've got to dig and you've got to really think and challenge your business to get to the answers. But there's a lot of great material in that book. So two side questions on that. Meeting Jim Collins would be on a lot of people's bucket lists. What was that like? He's a very down-to-earth guy. You can tell he's pretty heavily introverted. You know, there was a dinner on the middle night which he committed to coming to and he made a real effort to go and say good day to everyone but kind of got the sense he was pretty glad when he got to turn around and go back home. Mm, how interesting. But yeah, just that, like, principled thinker. So what do you think? It would be, well, I know based on research this and, yeah, clever guy. Amazing. And I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Jim Collins's Good to Great and the whole flywheel concept. If you were to sort of think about the flywheel in real estate, what is the most important push, I suppose? Because I think in the idea in Good to Great is that it's almost like trying to get the 747 off the ground and then once you do, the flywheel spins faster and faster. Yeah. How do you see that in a real estate context, in a real estate business? I mean, the flywheel is a really good example of a concept that I still haven't resolved. Like, if you go to think about it deeply, the idea of the flywheel is that it doesn't spin without all of it moving together. Each push throws you into the next and sort of keeps going. So it's a bit little chicken and the egg. But my intuition when you ask that question is around getting the right people in the business. 
and recruitment sort of starts the whole process of moving around as opposed to getting the right listing presentation or the right stock management. It's do we have the right people in the business? Yeah, and then each little incremental thing when it all starts working together is I feel like that's a topic for a whole another 30 minutes. So, you know, hopefully we can get you back in a couple of months' time and we could maybe dig into that in a fair bit more depth. More than happy to. And I know some people who have extended some of my thinking on that as well in terms of there's multiple flywheels within a real estate business based on the different components. So I might let you know who they are and if you, they'd be good to have in the conversation too. Yeah, absolutely. That could be super fun. Well, I cannot believe that that 30 minutes has flown by so quickly, but Ben, I just want to say thanks very much for dropping in so early in the year and having a chat to us. And I think everyone's going to get a lot out of that. So thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and knowledge. If there was one thing that you'd like to leave everyone with for 2023, what would it be? Or one final piece of advice? I think probably just most people, including ourselves, are doing the best they can most of the time. And none of our journey to date has been linear. It's been up and down and across. And sometimes you feel like you're moving backwards. But having, I guess it's probably Jim's final piece of advice, to be honest, which was doing work that matters with people that you love working with is one of the highest stations in life. So I think it's that bit around who you're choosing to work with. Make sure you're surrounded by people that get you up and make you feel good and the rest sort of sorts itself out over time. Yeah, that's great advice, Ben, folks. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. 